0: Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Today's episode is a Bible study that I've put together for you on the story of the raising of Lazarus. This is one of my favorite stories, so this was really fun to do. There's so much in here to unpack, uh, but this Bible study is a part of uh, several podcasts that I'll be putting out over the next um, several weeks about stories of Bethany. Uh, Bethany is this small town that gets mentioned in the scriptures in a variety of different ways and times. And I thought it would be fun to look at all of those stories and to really just consider all that happened in that place. As you know, this podcast is uh, produced by Bethany Lutheran Church in Cherry Hills Village, Colorado. And so I thought it would be fun for members of the congregation to just be thinking about together what does happen at that place and what does it mean to be a church named Bethany? Of course, if you're not a member of Bethany and you just like to listen to the podcast, you're welcome to as well. There's still going to be so much in here that I think you'll enjoy and appreciate. Um, And it's also just fun to have a better understanding of some of these biblical locations. So here it is, the first of a Bethany Bible study. This one based on the raising of Lazarus, which is found in John chapter 11. Oh, friends, do we have a Bible study for you today. This is part of a series that we're going to be doing on the stories of Bethany. So we think about all the things that happen in this small little town near Jerusalem. And most of you who listen to this podcast are members here at Bethany Lutheran Church. And so it's interesting to just think about what it means to be a church named after this town. What happened in that town? Today we get to do one of my favorite stories, the raising of Lazarus. This is in John chapter 11, and we're going to basically read the entirety of John chapter 11, just about. At least the first half, it's a long chapter, Um, because there's just so much details and context. I won't go verse by verse Um, At least not at first, that's what I usually do on these Bible study podcasts, but we're going to try and get into it, do it in more chunks since it is a longer passage, but there's so much good stuff there, we've got to see it all. Uh, So open up those Bibles, this is John chapter 11, and I'll just start by reading you the first 16 verses, and then we'll talk about it. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer where he was. All right, let's stop there, just go with this chunk. So, Bethany is a town that's in close proximity to Jerusalem. It's not, uh, it's very nearby. It's definitely a smaller town. And it's a place where Jesus often goes to rest and for for respite. You know, all of the crazy stuff really happens in Jerusalem. That's the big city, the, the center of religious life. And so sometimes Jesus just needs to get away from it all. He goes to Bethany. And we also learn that because he spent time there, he's built some powerful relationships with a guy named Lazarus, with Mary, and her sister Martha. And there's many other stories about Bethany, about Jesus. Interactions with Mary and Martha. And even John, in his writing of the gospel, kind of gives us some of those details to help us connect the dots. He's like, Remember, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair? Yeah, and she's got a brother, and his name is Lazarus, and Lazarus is ill. So Jesus has a deep relational connection to this family that lives in Bethany. And John wants us to know all of that because really these deep relational connections are a big part of John's gospel as a whole, a part of how John wants us to see and understand Jesus. Jesus was fully human and had deep human connections. And yet also the whole of John's gospel is about God's deep connection with us how the word becomes flesh and dwells among us so that God can be closely related and connected to people like you and me. So we see all of that just in these first few verses, a lot of these details of John's gospel being pulled out. And what happens too is that in John's gospel, he often mentions later events. He assumes that people already know the details of the story. And so the way that he writes it isn't always chronological. It's oftentimes um, just thematic. I think that's the best way to put it. And so since John is assuming that people know the whole story, he can kind of make different connections and illusions throughout his writing. John's gospel is probably the gospel that was written the latest, the, the furthest out from Jesus's actual life. And so there's been several generations where people have been able to develop their own uh, understanding and grasp of the Jesus story. And so that's just important to keep in mind. We often know the details of all the stories because we've heard it read in church so many times. And so that's kind of the context for when John wrote his gospel himself, was he knew that people knew the story. And so he could kind of jump ahead and add some other details and make connections for some of the people. All right. And so the um, I, I just want to make sure I catch all my details of this sometime. What's really interesting is Jesus loves and cares about these people. Uh, But he operates on his own time, doesn't he? He waits two extra days before he does anything, even though he knows his friend is sick. And and he also knows, though, like, what's going to happen? Oh, he's not going to really die. This is all going to happen for the glory of God. Jesus knows how the story ends himself, too. And so let's keep reading. Let's look ahead to start at verse 7 here. Then after this, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. So, Earlier in John's gospel, we hear stories about how Jesus goes to Judea, goes to Jerusalem, uh, er, goes to Judea, that area around Jerusalem, and they don't really like him. The prophet is not accepted in his hometown. Um, He is chased out. They wanted to stone him. And so they're very concerned about Jesus going back to that region to check in on Lazarus. They're saying, like, Jesus, we were just there, and they didn't like you very much. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 I have a mission to do. Uh, and, and so there's this whole uh, extended context here that's kind of going on. Jesus knows that it's dangerous to go to the Judean area. But Jesus also knows that this is part of his mission, is, is to go there to raise Lazarus to life. And so there's this really cool uh, um, story within a story that John's doing here. Jesus travels to Bethany to give life to Lazarus, even though he knows it's dangerous, even though he knows it might cost him his life. And in fact, as we'll see, it's this raising of Lazarus that really results in a lot of the Pharisees and scribes turning against Jesus. This event leads to Jesus's death. So Jesus willingly goes to Judea, even though he knows it's dangerous, even though he knows it's going to lead to his death. And he, go, he does that in order to bring life to Lazarus. And really, isn't that a microcosm of the whole story? Jesus willingly goes to the cross, even though he knows that that will be his death. But he does it in order to bring life to us all. Whoa! Yes, blowing your mind. I know, mine too. I love this. It's so cool when you see the pieces fit together. The other part that I just have to say This verse 16, Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is Thomas. The guy that we refer to as Doubting Thomas because he just couldn't believe after the resurrection. We never remember his act of bravery here in chapter 11. We don't call him Brave Thomas or Courageous Thomas, the man who was willing to die with Jesus. No, no, no. We focus on the Doubting Thomas. I just think that's so unfortunate. Thomas gets such a bad rap. I've talked about that many times before, but had to get on my soapbox once again. Give Thomas some love there. But let's continue on now. Now we kind of get to the meat of the story. Jesus traveling to Bethany. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Interesting detail there. Four days. What's significant about that? Well, at that time, there was this commonly held belief that the soul of a person hovered over the body for three days. That was the sense of it, is that the soul was kind of there for three days after a person had died. And so four days means, oh, Lazarus is dead, 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 dead. dead. There's there's no mistake. This this isn't just uh, uh, him going to sleep as they were talking about. Lazarus is dead. Let's continue verse 18 and 19. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, I told you that already, two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them about their brother. So we're once again reminded of the proximity to Jerusalem. And and Jerusalem is, again, the religious hub. Everything happens there. And so there would be a lot of good Jews in the area. And one of the common uh, practices still in Judaism today is a practice called sitting shiva. And so if someone dies and you are a friend or a family member or part of their religious community, it's common practice to go and sit with the family. And that's it. It's I think it's very wise and very holy. Uh, death is something so dramatic and unexplainable. Uh, Something that we as humans who continue living just can't fully wrap our mind around. And and we know this. We see this at funerals all the time. Uh, People just are at a loss for words. There's no good way of explaining all of our emotions. And so in Judaism, all you do is you just go and sit. It's a ministry of presence. You don't say anything. There's there's no words to say. There's nothing to do. I mean, if the person wants to talk, you talk. But if you just are to sit there with them and be present that's enough. And so there's this practice of sitting Shiva, I believe it's for a full week, if not longer, where there's just a community of people that that sign up to be there with you, to sit with you in the grief, to hold that space together. And so we see that that's kind of what's happening here. The, The people were going to Mary and Martha's house to console them about their brother, to sit with them and to be with them. And this is at least four days out already, you know, so they they continue with this practice um, for many days. Now let's go on to verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. So notice that Martha is the active one and Mary is the one that hangs back. This mirrors what we know about their personalities from that famous Mary and Martha story. Martha is the one in the kitchen getting everything ready and Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha becomes indignant because Mary is just uh, not doing anything and not helping. Jesus, you know, has a whole conversation with them about that. And so we see this element of their personality play out again. Martha's like, what? Jesus is on the way? I'm going to go have a talking to with him. And she leaves and Mary continues to sit Shiva at home. It's really interesting how uh, John pulls those personality patterns through in this story, just in that little verse. But so we get to verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice that Martha complains. (laughs) She's upset. And that's also, I think, important to affirm. That it's okay to be upset with God. It's okay to offer prayers that are prayers of grief, prayers of frustration, or even anger. God wants the full scope of our emotions brought into that relationship. And so if you're feeling frustrated about something or upset, yeah, it's okay to share some prayers of complaints, to say something like Martha did. Lord, if you had actually been here, my brother would not have died. That's all a part of our connection and relationship with God. Let's continue reading. But even now, I know, Martha said, that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So in this little passage too, we also see from Martha incredible acts of faith. She offers a confession, confidence in the hope of, that Jesus brings for the future. I did a podcast about this recently, a Bible, or a, a sermon about this recently, about how God's got a plan. Like th- th- There's a future that we can look forward to with hope. Martha exemplifies that here. Even though she's angry, even though she's frustrated and grieving, she still has this deep well of faith and confidence that in the future, on the last day, that Jesus will be able to put everything back together. We continue with verse 25. Jesus said to her, i am the resurrection and the life those who believe in me even though they die will live and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this martha said to him yes lord i believe that you are the messiah the son of god the one coming into the world so in john's gospel jesus makes many i believe it's seven of these i am statements I am the resurrection and the life, he says here. Here's why that's significant. This, this phrase, I am, uh, we gloss over it. We probably don't think about it very much critically. But if you go way back to the book of Exodus, Moses has an encounter with God in the burning bush. And Moses says to God, what is your name? And God responds, Yahweh, which means I am that I am. So the name of God is I am. So all of these I am statements are actually extremely loaded. They are Jesus articulating the fact that he and God are one. This is a big theme throughout John's gospel. John really wants to hammer home that Jesus and God are one. That the word was God and the word was with God and then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is all part of what John wants to really hammer home. And so these I am statements further exemplify that. Jesus is speaking the name of God. I am the resurrection and the life. And so he's speaking, he's saying that he is God, and yet he's bringing more uh, a character to our understanding of, of what God is like. So he mentions God's name and then adds details. The resurrection and the life. For Jesus to be the resurrection... That means that a person's future is not determined by death, but by their faith in Jesus and his future promises. For Jesus to be the life means that our present, this life today, is determined and directed by our faith in Jesus. So in this statement, Jesus is pulling together the present and the future and saying that he is the Lord of all of it that all of it is connected and brought into the reality of God. And notice, too, that Martha comes to understand this. She offers a confession about who Jesus is, and, and this is not nothing. Uh, a lot of the times throughout all of the Gospels, people are trying to figure out, like, who is Jesus exactly? What's going on here? And there's very few moments where people make distinct statements about the character and the personality of Jesus. There's very few times where people come to understand that Jesus is God. And yet that's exactly what happens here in verse 27 is Martha makes a confession, a statement of faith. You are the Messiah, the son of God, the one coming into the world. So she understands and affirms Jesus's statement that I am the resurrection and the life. Remember, that's Jesus making a statement about his divinity and and what the character of God is like. And then Martha affirms it, saying like, yes, I believe this. I have come to see this with my own eyes and my own experiences. And I affirm what you are saying, Jesus. And I trust in what that character of God can do in this situation. Woo! So many good things. Man, I told you, this is such a good a good story. There's so much in here. Uh, continuing on with verse 28. When Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up and quickly went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. And they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. A lot going on there. Jesus is still kind of outside this city and maybe trying to be careful because he knows that the Jews in Judea really don't like him. But then this is how the Jews come to see Jesus being there and being active in this whole situation. They were just there consoling Mary, and then they follow her when she got up quickly. And notice again, too, John also drawing allusions back to the Mary and Martha story. Mary once again kneels at Jesus' feet, which is a continual piece of how she is described. She is constantly sitting at the teacher's feet to learn from him and and to study with him. And here it's her in, in grief, sitting at Jesus's feet, saying like, if you had just been here, this would have turned out differently. All right, we've continued with verse 33. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved." This term greatly disturbed here actually means agitated or angry in the original Greek. Jesus is upset by the powers of death that are at work in the world. I think that's an important point. God does not cause death. God is not on the side of death. God is deeply disturbed, agitated, and angry by the presence of death at work in the world. That's a message of extreme hope too, just as frustrated and and heartbroken as we are by the death that we experience in this lifetime. We know that we believe in a God who feels the exact same way and who is doing everything to stop it and to give us promises that extend beyond the power of death. We continue with verse 34. Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. The word you here, where have you laid him, is in the plural, meaning that Jesus is speaking to a crowd. This is not him speaking to Mary um, because it would otherwise it would be in a, in a different form, but it's the plural form of you. And so that gives us a sense too that there's a decent number of people here. You know, the Jews who were consoling Mary have come with Mary. And so now there's a crowd that's gathered that's going to witness this miracle about to take place. We continue at 35. Jesus began to weep. That's it. Verse 35, Jesus began to weep. Fun trivia fact for you. John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus began to weep, is the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Wow, we found it. That's awesome. (laughs) But what I love about that short verse, I could do a whole sermon on this short verse. It shows that Jesus acknowledges that that even though he knows that Jesus, let me start over. Even though Jesus knows that he has power over death. And we saw that earlier in the passage. Jesus knows how this story is going to play out. Even though Jesus knows what the future holds, he still bears the pain and the bitterness of those losses. And I think (laughs) that that's true for us as well. Even though we might be people of faith who have great confidence that in the end, God puts the whole world back together, that in the end, we will be with our loved ones again in the resurrection. Even though we know all of that, it doesn't make the the pain and the struggle of the current moment any less harsh. Jesus knows that too. Even though Jesus knows exactly how the story is going to play out, he still is emotionally moved by it. He was such a real human being who was constantly sharing in the emotions of others, having real emotions himself. And so for you to know it is okay to grieve, it is okay to struggle and to doubt um, and to to not fully grasp the the power of the resurrection right now when you're struggling with something yourself. Because frankly, that's even how Jesus felt. When he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he was still deeply moved, angered and agitated and weeping over the loss of his friend Lazarus. Okay, we continue with verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of the Jews said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus is, yeah, Jesus is still displaying anger and emotion about the presence of death within all of this. And the Jews are not totally on board with it. They're a little, you know, continually bickering, trying to understand. This is all, John tends to portray the Jews in this group um, in really negative light throughout. And so they're playing that role again here. But let's continue with verse um, 38. Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. This is what I want to say. I got my notes mixed up. Yeah. So Jesus is still greatly disturbed, still showing emotion and struggle about all of this. We continue with 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Martha is the one who confessed back in verse 27 that Jesus could do anything, that he was the Lord, the Son of God. And she still, though, has assumptions about death. And so Jesus is going to surprise even her. That's a lot of what this story is about. I keep coming back to that, is that we can be people of faith who have confidence in the future and yet still have questions and struggles in the current moment, especially when we're facing deeply emotional, tragic situations. So we go to 41. So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. This verse is the first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus directly addresses God as Father. It's tying together at this moment, Jesus and the power of God active in him on earth. This is not a magic trick from Jesus. It is God actively at work through jesus that's what that prayer is all reminding us of and this is all a big part of john's overall point in the gospel the power of god was active and at work in a human being named jesus verse 43 when jesus had said this he cried out with a loud voice lazarus come out the calling of jesus is what lazarus responds to just as we're called to new life by the voice of jesus Lazarus was called to new life by the voice of Jesus. I think that's so cool. There's a a whole sermon in there that Jesus calls us by name into a new way of life. That's what baptism's all about. That's what happens here with Lazarus in a very real, literal way. Verse 43. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice. Oh, I just read that. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Lazarus is called the dead man. The dead man. (laughs) Thus highlighting exactly what has just taken place. It really hammers the point home. The dead man came out. That's a really big statement. (laughs) And Lazarus is still wrapped in the grave clothes showing that death still has some sort of hold upon him. And it's true. What we never hear about, but what we know to be true, Lazarus died again someday. Absolutely. And so it's really interesting to to recognize that the power of death still does have some hold over us in this lifetime, in this moment. God's power is ultimately greater, but as we've been seeing all throughout, the struggle with death is something that we continue to face. And so... Conversely, though, when Jesus rises from the dead later in John, in John chapter 20, the grave clothes are left aside because that miracle indicates that death has no hold. It's these very interesting parallels that John writes in. Lazarus is still bound in the clothes of the grave, but Jesus is not. We're specifically told in John chapter 20, verse 6 and 7, that the grave clothes are left aside so that that resurrection of Jesus is where our ultimate hope and power rests in in, in a victory over death at the end of days. So, wow, what a great story. There's so much in here. And like I said, it all takes place at Bethany. And so I think it's cool for us as a church to think about our name and to realize that that was a place where Jesus was deeply emotional and, and real about the struggle of death and the pain that that causes. And yet, Bethany is a place where Jesus revealed a hope that extends beyond it. And so that's what we're trying to do here as the church, is we're trying to be a place where we can be emotionally honest uh, with God and with ourselves and our friends, where we can struggle together through the tragedies and the suffering of this life but also where we can see and experience the power of the resurrection, that that we can come to have faith in a hope for the future, in God being actively at work, healing what is broken and fixing what isn't quite right. Oh my gosh, the story of Lazarus. What a treat. I'm so glad we got to do it. I hope you enjoyed this Bible study. If you've got further questions, don't ever hesitate to email me, nate at bethany-denver.org. Hope you enjoyed this. Hope it gave you some things to think about. Stay in peace, everyone.